What's up, everyone? This is Wes Lyon from McGill and Lyon Dental Advisors. Welcome to the Drilling It Down podcast. More dentists than ever are searching for solid, independent, objective financial advice. On this show, I sit down with my guests to help you see clearly through the fall, providing education as it relates to practice management, tax planning, investing, practice transitions, really any financial topic you can name that's going to help you reach your goals. Welcome back to another episode of Drilling It Down. This is your host, Wes Lyon. With me today is David Matthews. David, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. So today we're going to cover a topic you were asking me about. So you had a client yeah. ask about this employee retention credit. But before we jump into that, you know, you do a lot of work behind the scenes here, but your face isn't out in the open as much as everybody else's. So, you know, Give us a little bit of background, David. Sure. You know, how'd you come here? Uh, what, what do you do for the group here? Yeah. Just give us a little overview. Absolutely. So thank you, Wes, for those kind of words. And, uh, you know, I've been with McGillen Hill for a little more than a year now. And uh, essentially, I do the sell-side representation for, you know, basically DSO transactions. So the corporate side of things, essentially, you know, deal structuring, valuations, negotiating terms on that, and so on. And sometimes we do end up, you know, having clients who, you know, are going through the process as a whole, but end up having questions and specific items that kind of get into the tax side of things. And that's when I come to your door and I'm like, hey, Wes, my man, I need some help on this. And, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for us to really break it down and go over what exactly we're looking at over here. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've been a great addition to the group well, and thank we appreciate you, everything you do. But for those of you that haven't met David yet, you know, hopefully at some point in time you get to know him and uh, definitely be a more regular contributor on the podcast. He's always got something fun up his sleeve, but tell me a little bit about, you know, what got asked and, you know, what you're looking at. And Yeah. So the specific question that came up was regarding ERC credits and what the best approach to it would be. And, you know, it was specifically what the government was really looking at, what the timeline is on any of the action items and, you know, what we would assume to be the best approach from a client's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people are getting worried because, you know, more and more news comes out on how much fraud is out there with the employee retention credit. So, you know, today's episode, we're not going to dive into too much detail. We're going to try to keep it quick under 20 minutes. But if you are listening to this, then there is a prior episode that is about 45, 50 minutes long. And the first things first, if, you know, this rings a bell and you feel like you need to get more information, go back to that episode, listen to all 45 minutes. I'm not everybody's going to need to do that, though. Gotcha. But yeah, basically, the IRS is really ramping up enforcement on this. And the employee retention credit, it started as a tax credit available to companies that, you know, had a significant decline in gross receipts during the pandemic. So they were either 50% down in 2020 or in 2021, they were 20% down or more in any quarter. And for companies that qualified for that, there was a lot of money they could get in this employee retention credit. And then there were a couple other caveats in there, which is where I think some of your clients are probably asking because they probably feel like they might get gotten into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a challenge with regards to like interpreting what exactly the terms are for engaging in this trend. 
Yeah, and th- there's this other way you can engage in it. And it's if you were shut down due to a governmental order, mm-hmm. then you can take the credit for any wages paid while you were shut down. It's also, you know, it gets into was your business disrupted due to a governmental order? And, and this is where some of these groups got real, we'll call it aggressive or fraudulent, depending on the word you want to yeah. use for yeah. the day. But they started to say that any disruption in the, you know, in your supply chain would cause this if you had any impact due to COVID. And generally speaking, an impact must be 10% or more to even be remotely considered an impact. But most people should be taking it off the gross receipts test, which is the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one, it gets in a little more of he said, she said, but generally speaking, most of these promoters have just come up with their own set of rules. You know, I was going through one for a client today because I kind of had to call him and say, you know, we actually had a son in here doing an externship and his son was wanting to know what we were up to. And we told him and he goes, oh gosh, I I think my dad did that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so I had to email him and we're in the process of going through it and said, hey, you know, send me everything before we 100% give this money back. And, you know, they said, hey, if any of your sectors of business are down 10%, they were diving into sectors without x-rays or this. Those aren't really sectors. They're just making this up just to take the credit. Just to touch on that, when you define disruption, is it just at a revenue standpoint or is a disruption in cost considered as well? Oh, that's a great, great question. And no, it's just revenue. Just revenue. Um, And that's the cost of it. It's not to say that a supply item couldn't cause it, but it has to be your inability to get them. Let's say like, you know, you're a dentist office and you need masks. They don't care if your mask doubled in cost, tripled in cost. They care about whether or not you could get them. So if you're trying to chase that supply chain down and your supplier doesn't have them, if you can get them from another supplier, you still have to get them there. If you had them on the shelf, you have to get them. So basically this whole thing falls apart unless you pass the revenue test. Gotcha. Now, the problem is there were a lot of practices that did qualify in 2020. The problem is in this 2021 numbers. In 2021, you could actually claim the credit for up to 70% of wages paid per employee for a maximum of $7,000 of tax credit per employee per quarter. And you could do it for three quarters. Mm -hmm. So you could get a total of $21,000 per employee. And 2020, it was 5000 So that's where you see all these ads, $26,000 per employee. Most dental offices had record years in 2021. Right, right. <laughs> and, and and I wonder if the government did budget for all of this stuff. The government budgeted for about 55 to $85 billion, and mm-hmm. they got claims of like $2 trillion. <laughs> So, okay. I mean, this is in... Okay. You know, I, I don't know that either of us have been around long enough to really know if this is absolutely the biggest tax fraud to ever get committed. But my <laughs> hunch tells me that this it's is up there. Yeah, this might be the one that takes the cake. Wow. But I think you, what you're referring to and, you know, your clients are wanting to know is, you know, should they do something? Right. The government's offered this voluntary disclosure program if you think that you may have done something. And that voluntary disclosure program, the big thing is, you know, you've got until, was it March 22nd? Okay. In order to file for the voluntary disclosure program, if you don't do it by then, you're risking the audit. And and what's the process to it? 
Yeah. So if you want to do it, you know, the main terms on this, you're going to have to give the money back. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going to have to disclose it. So again, go, if you want all the details, go back to that prior episode, talk with your CPA, but the main ones here, you're going to have to give back 80% of the money. Okay. So the government's not actually going to make you give back a hundred percent. And it's because, you know, I don't know how involved you got when you got the question, but as I start to go down the rabbit hole, most of these weren't calculated by the CPAs. They were calculated by promoters. They okay. claim they have tax knowledge. The CPAs don't. Mm-hmm. And the IRS realizes most people were scammed by a promoter and probably gave up 20% of the funds. So the IRS is saying, hey, you're not getting that 20% back in all likelihood. So you'll pay us 80% back. But as part of this, you have to disclose who helped you with it. So the IRS is planning on getting that 20% back. They're just not coming after you You for it. it. Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) And that's part of the deal is, you know, you basically, you know, I guess for lack of a better term here, you're going to be a snitch. Snitch. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if you wanted to say that, but I I, kind of see that. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's really what they're asking for is they want the details. And, you know, it's something that we're recommending that people do. You know, if you go through this and you don't settle, you're really risking a lot here. Uh, That's one of the big questions I think I got. Like, what is the risk with regards to non-disclosure, right? What are we facing? You know, the brave ones who wanted to kind of test the waters and kind of, you know, navigate what that scenario would look like. Uh, What would you tell them? Yeah, so we actually have an example in this newsletter article that's going to be coming out shortly here. Mm-hmm. And for somebody that got a $200,000 tax credit, their estimated penalty would be 20% or penalty of $40,000. So they're going to owe $240,000 back from tax credits. Mm-hmm. The estimated interest would be about $70,000 on that. Also, they're going to have to pay their accountant and they're going to have to pay an attorney to deal with this audit. So you're probably another 20000 in for that. So you could end up paying back $330,000 on a $200,000 credit you received. All right. And we didn't put this in there, but you would have paid 20% probably to the promoter. So that $330,000 would, you know, you have to add in what that promoter take was. So you could be out of pocket $370,000. And there's also another little issue in here that could really come up. So when you took this credit, mm-hmm. if the company got $200,000, it was a tax credit for wages paid. So they're not allowed to deduct the wages. So they would have gone back and they would have taken away $200,000 off their prior year corporate tax return, which probably would have costed them $80,000 in tax if you think of paying right. about 40%. So if you got 200, you had to pay back 80% and then you paid the promoter probably 40. 40. So you kept less than 50% of this tax credit to begin with. Now, I, I don't know that this will really happen or the IRS will be this mean, but what could end up happening is the IRS comes and gets you off of fraud, but they catch you or this gets settled after your corporate returns, after the amendment period is up. Today's episode is brought to you by the McGill Advisor. The McGill Advisor is your resource to reaching your financial goals faster with greater confidence and less stress. Members will receive our monthly newsletter delivered to their door, containing all the latest and greatest tips as it relates to taxes, practice management, and achieving financial independence. 
Membership also includes access to our online portal, including archived articles, webinars with available CE credits, discounts on educational seminars, and much more. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your first year subscription. So not only do you lose 330 and then you lose 40 to the promoter for 370 but you could very well never get a refund for the taxes you had to pay back. So you could be at 370 adding another 80 You could be at 450 <laughs> I mean, it, it just... Yeah, the, the possibilities are endless, I say. Yeah, we've yeah. got better ways of trying to cut tax bills than this. Right, right. So we're steering clear. This is something we've been pretty hard on from the beginning that, look, we just don't want to do it. Right. Now, you could have legally taken it, though. So I think, you know, in here, this article they're about to release, there are some IRS, you know, hey, we're looking at you if the following things could be true. These are all red flags. Right. So one of them is if you're claiming it for too much of a tax period. So, you know. Too many quarters, you mean? Well, it could just be that like a lot of people, they took it in 2020 and they qualified while they were shut down, but they were shut down for like six weeks, but they took it for four months. Gotcha, gotcha. That's one. And none of this would necessarily have to be like intentional acts of fraud. It could just be administrative or just clerical issues that the practitioner faced and kind of ended up with an inaccurate number, right? And this is a good opportunity for them to kind of address that and rectify it and move on rather than trying to make a case and argue against it. Yeah, what what really happened to most is the promoters got them. Right. And the promoters promised the money and told them it was legit and we knew more in your CPA. So they kind of, most of them probably got scammed to gotcha. some extent. Gotcha. Not a lot of them probably came up with this idea to scam the government on their own. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. to be fair to the dentist out there, I, it was never presented as a scam, mm-hmm. right? It, yeah. They didn't knowingly do it. Yeah. But that's why the IRS has the forgiveness program. Gotcha. Is they realize that, you know, in our case, we're talking about dentists, but most of the people that did it took the money, didn't knowingly do that. It was that. in good faith. Yeah. But, you know, other things are if they took it for too many quarters, meaning if you took it for every single quarter, they think there's a high chance that it was fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And I tend to agree with them. <laughs> and they're probably going to come after you. Right. Some of them are government orders that don't qualify as another big one. So like South Carolina was an interesting case study. In order to take this, you have to have a written governmental order. Oh, wow. If you're using the governmental order versus the decline in revenues. If you're going off the decline in revenues, you're 50% down in 2020 in any quarter, or you were 20% or more down in any of the first three quarters, 2021, you don't need a government order, right? That's it. You pass the revenue test. If you're trying to go off the government orders, though, you know, sometimes they're digging in the supply chain and saying the government shut down my supplier or something. Or South Carolina was an interesting one because, you know, I lived in Fort Mill when this happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny just being right on the border of Charlotte, you know, two weeks to slow the spread turns into a year and Charlotte hasn't left their homes in a year. (laughs) Two weeks to slow the spread in South Carolina (laughs) is two weeks to slow the spread and you can kiss my rear end. (laughs) So... South Carolina never really had a government order. The Mm -hmm. governor asked or told them to, but there was never a written demand that they shut down. And it's kind of funny how it shook out because, I mean, when I was in Fort Mill, it was two weeks to slow the spread. That was it. (laughs) You know, it it was kind of like if if we make a governmental order, we might end up at war. (laughs) So (laughs) we're not going to make the government order 
other than Charleston and Greenville, which probably looked more like Charlotte. Right. But yeah, so you have to have this actual governmental order. It needs to be written. You know, you need to have an open or a closed date and a date you could open back up. And and just to confirm, the the governmental order lays the 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 kind of timeline that is being tested for the revenue test, right? Like, yeah, that's exactly okay, right. Okay, so, okay. well, no, 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 sorry. The timeline, they set the timeline if you're using the governmental order, mm-hmm. but the the governmental order has nothing to do with the revenue test. The revenue test applies regardless yeah. if you have an order. If you okay. pass the revenue test, you take the credit, you're 100% legit. Okay, okay. The governmental order test is, let's say most people got shut down somewhere between like the 13th and the 19th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I got shut down, the government told me to shut down on the 13th, mm-hmm. and then the government gave me a date in which I could reopen. Right. So if I was shut down for two months, but I had my staff on the payroll, I could absolutely take this tax credit for wages paid in that period. But here's the problem for a lot of the practices. They laid everybody off. Right. <laughs> so there's no wages to take the credit on in that right. period. Right. But no, there's a lot of people that really did legitimately take this credit. And of course, yeah. This just kind of make it easy for the listeners. If you're a one doctor practice, if you got the credit for twenty to thirty thousand dollars, it was probably legit, and you probably calculated it correctly for twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Now, if you got a, if you're a one doctor practice and you got a credit for eighty, one hundred twenty thousand dollars, high chance you overdid it. Would it would a good test just be looking at your cash flow for the year? Like if it's like way above what you usually saw in the prior periods. The easiest test would be, if I was thinking of it, most of the practitioners that took this mm-hmm. that are going to be in trouble, they took it for three quarters in 2021. And, and that's just it. Most dental practices had a record year in 2021, mm. and they really weren't impacted negatively. So if you took it for three quarters in 2021, and that's where you get 21,000 an employee, and that's how you can see where, gotcha. okay, 21,000, six employees, all of a sudden I'm over 120,000. That's probably your biggest sign yeah. is if you were taking it in 2021. That makes sense. If you just took it in 2020 and you, you know you got a smaller amount, there's a high, higher probability that you probably qualified, but it's going to be really hard. It, there are definitely some practices that do qualify off the revenue test, but it's going to be really, really hard to find a dental practice that qualifies off the revenue right. test. So, sounds like the IRS might start off at 2021 and then work backwards. So they've started on 2020. Actually, okay. they already issued 20,000 denial letters. They had 20,000 more going out. Okay. You know, I, I don't know how they're going to block and tackle it. It's so big, but I would think they're going to go after the easiest ones first. Mm -hmm. So if you took, you know, four separate versions of this employee retention credit and you got 26,000 per employee, they're probably going to start with you versus, you know, somebody who maybe didn't quite pass the revenue test in 2020, but only took the credit for $25,000. You know, I, I don't know. They could come back and audit that one too, but Mm -hmm. my guess would be they're going to start with the people a hundred thousand and up and, You know, they may never get to that 2021 because, you know, they're they're probably not going to get to all of them. You're just risking it. Right. Right. And if you haven't even thought of it, just have a look maybe, right? Like if you're a practitioner who's received the amounts and you have a good management team that takes care of it, just check in, have a discussion, consult with your advisor. Well, I'd consult with your CPA. Okay. So a lot of people got steered clear of this because of their CPA, but mm-hmm. yeah, some CPAs are in on it. 
But yeah, it's just something if you took it, if you took a large amount, the best thing I think you could do, go back a few episodes on drilling it down and listen to the 45 minutes. Gotcha. And really get into the weeds of it. If you took $20,000, you got $18,000, probably just move on with my life. But if I got $100,000 or more and I took this credit or even sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 or more, I'm going to go back to that episode, listen to the whole thing and make sure I'm right. clear. Gotcha. But you need to do that like now because you got to a March 22nd, you got some paperwork to fill out, some things you're going to need help with from your CPA. And that's why we're trying to get this out there again as a reminder not to belabor something. I can't wait for the day when I don't have to talk about all this COVID stuff that's going on. <laughs> but you have until March 22nd. We want to get it out there. It's urgent. We need to make sure we're filing it all, doing it right. But yeah, for, for any of your clients or anyone out there, I'd, I'd go back a few episodes, listen to it. Yeah. And that'll probably give you every detail you need to realize whether or not you were fraudulent or legit, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we had this discussion because with the timeline in hand, it, it just seems imminent that we kind of call to action over here with, with our clients. So clarity on this definitely helps. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, I think we got everything yeah. out there. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll have you back on here and we'll talk about something a little more in your, your area of expertise next yeah, time. Yeah, let's go. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. This is a good start and I can see myself walking down in here and having a few uh, good chats with you. Awesome. And then for anyone out there listening, just so you know, we also just launched a podcast for young dentists. So with Scott, right? Yeah. yeah. So David, you work directly with Scott Meneker yeah. on your team, but myself and Dr. Scott Meneker. So we have a dentist on there. You know, we're just going through it's for younger doctors, some of it for students, some of it just for younger doctors in general, and just trying to steer them into the right direction. Yeah. You, when, when you talk, you know, I know you, but when you talk to Dr. Maneker, you really get that perspective of a practitioner. And that's kind of insight that even I wouldn't have, because I look at it from a numbers perspective, and you really need that narrative from somebody who's done it for so long. Yeah, so. I mean, it was great. We've got an episode on there, like one was just how to dress for an interview, things that you yeah, don't really think definitely. about, yeah. but... You know, in the business world, we kind of get taught, but nobody ever sits a dentist down and right. goes, here's how you should act. But that show is called Next Gen DDS. It's just three separate words, Next Gen and then DDS. Um, and if you search West Lion, you'll be able to find it too, but it's on Spotify, Apple, all the regular ones. Uh, so that'll be an exciting one as well. But otherwise, uh, for everyone out there, we will see you in the next week or two. This wraps up another episode of Drilling It Down. We look forward to seeing you for the next episode. In the meantime, make sure to visit our website, mcgilladvisory.com. And if you aren't a current subscriber, subscribe to our newsletter. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your initial subscription.